Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see the church getting fuller and fuller each week, and we want to especially recognize and celebrate today all of our dads who are in the house. So would you just join me in acknowledging and appreciating all the fathers who are here today? I want to start off posing a question to everybody today, one of them I'm sure that you can probably say a wholehearted yes to, and that is this question. Have you ever been forced or thrust into a conversation where you felt extremely uncomfortable or awkward? Anybody in here? Okay, yeah. Um, Well, let me tell you about this one. I remember I was in first grade in uh, Riverview Elementary School in Marion, and I had a friend who was a girl, but she wasn't just a girl, but she happened to be black. And her mom worked with my mom at the hospital. And so she says to my mom one day, do you know what your son said to my daughter? Now, for those of you who've had a first grader, you know that sometimes they can say things in unfiltered ways, right? My wife has a whole plethora of stories that Seth has shared with people in the innocence of kiddom at three, four, five years old. So with bated breath, my mom says to her, no, what did he say? She said, he told her that her hair smelled really good. (laughs) What conversations make you uncomfortable, make you kind of want to hold your breath? Some of you might even have unwritten rules at your family gatherings at the holidays like, we are not going to talk about this, and we are not going to talk about this, and we're not going to talk about that, because it just gets everybody worked up into a lather, and then before you know it, there's a firestorm around the dining room table at Christmas, right? Well, probably at the very top of the, I just don't want to talk about it list, is the topic of race. In fact, some people would tell you that they even think just the conversation itself is the problem. They would say, you know what? Slavery was 150 years ago. Equal rights are in full effect. We elected a black president not just once, but twice. Race is not the problem. It's people talking about it all the time. So if we just get back to running our lives and stop talking about it, we wouldn't have a problem. But if there's one thing that I've known in life for sure, one lesson I've learned for certain, it's this. Ignoring something never makes it go away. Have you noticed that? You don't operate that way in your marriage. If your spouse says, I need to talk to you because I'm concerned about some things in our marriage and the way things are going, you don't say, hey, let's just give it a week or two, babe, and I'm sure it'll all be gone. Or if you see your, parent or your child taking a wayward path, making poor decisions, and you know where that path's going to take them, You don't say to your spouse, do you think we should talk about that? No, no, let's not talk about it. I'm sure in a couple weeks everything will iron out and they'll start making great decisions. You don't do that. And in the same way, if there's one thing that we learn from Jesus, it's this. You never walk away from people who are hurting. You walk toward them and alongside of them. Well, as we look at the racial landscape of our country where we find ourselves here and now in 2020, the vast majority of us in here, I think, would wholeheartedly agree that things can be and should be better. But we're a little afraid to talk about it. If you're a person of color, you're probably exhausted and tired of talking about it. Because you've tried to share with with your white friends maybe what it's like to wake up as you in this culture, and you get pushback. 
They tell you, you know what, you're just overreacting. You took that the wrong way. You're just not grateful enough for all the advances we made over the past several years. And so you feel like you're just always coming across as like the angry black woman or the ungrateful Hispanic man. And so your temptation is just to keep it closed because you're just tired and exhausted. Even if you're white, you can hesitate to talk about this because in these conversations, you've seen people get really angry and really defensive. And the conversation kind of devolves into something that is not only not helpful, it's not truthful at all. Like if you would just say or suggest, well, I can understand why people are saying now that black lives matter. Or are you telling me you don't support the police? I didn't say that. My dad served honorably as a police officer for over 20 years, putting his life on the line every single day. Some of the best people I grew up around were the, the men who wore the badge alongside of him. And I refused to, to lump a whole category of people into a category because of the actions of just a few, and I would hope that you wouldn't do that either. Let me tell you another reason why I'm hesitant to speak. Because I realize in our day and time, Every word that comes out of your mouth has to be chosen so carefully because we live in a time where every word is minced and it's examined and it's dissected and it will be either used for you or against you. Jesus said in Matthew 12, by your words you will be acquitted or by your words you will be condemned. And I found that to be very, very true in the court of public opinion. But another reason why I'm hesitant to speak is because I've never walked in the shoes of someone of color, and I'm afraid of offending people of color by what I say. Because I admit, my understanding of this topic is very, very limited. Limited by my experience, limited just as much by my perspective. Like many of you, I grew up in a community that was 99.9% white which means the school I went to was 99.9% white, which meant the churches that I attended when I was little, when I was an adolescent, when I was a teenager, when I was a young adult, and even now at the age of 47 is still very, very white. So probably the best thing I did was just last week, I sat down with a friend who was a person of color, and I said, help me to understand Fill in the gaps for me about what it means to be a person of color in this culture and just about racism in general. And he was very kind and very gracious in what he shared with me. But probably the most profound thing that he said was this. He said, Solomon, Jesus was always engaging in difficult situations, uncomfortable situations. Sometimes he actually even created uncomfortable situations to address certain cultural norms and hopefully change those norms. So he said, as followers of Christ, we've got to be willing to be uncomfortable so that we can create environments where uncomfortable things can be talked about. So I know my limitations this morning. I'm very aware of that. But I also know this, no matter how pure my motives and how pure my intentions are this morning, somebody's going to be angry. Somebody's going to say, why did he go there? Or why didn't he go further with what he said? 
But today, just like every other Sunday, I make it my one aim simply to say what God has already said and expound on that. That's it. And today's Father's Day. And man, as a father, as a parent, nothing breaks your heart more than when you see your kids doing that, right? You want them to love one another, appreciate one another, respect one another. You don't want them to feel ill will toward one another, to hurt one another, either verbally or or physically. As a father, no greater joy than to see your children loving and living together in unity. And so I can only imagine how God's heart breaks on a regular occasion because of how vile and mean and vicious people can be to one another simply because of the percent of melanin that exists in our different skin tones. But the most important reason we need to talk about this, folks, is because God has already spoken to it. And when God speaks, it should silence all other voices. And speaking of voices, I wish more of my Christian brothers and sisters would be more informed about what the Word of God says about something than your favorite media outlet on any topic, this one included. So we're going to look at today. What's the heart of the Father? As the one who made us all, what has he said? How has he spoken into this topic that seems to be so divisive, not just in our country, but in different places globally? First thing we're going to see this morning about the Father's heart is that we all bear the Father's image. The Bible delivers a complete death blow to racism on the very first page. Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the same breath of God that he breathed into Adam has been passed down for multiple generations now, existing today in you and me, because we all came from one Man. And you know what that means? It means that every single human being has certain inalienable rights that were not given to them by any government. They were not voted into being by some sort of body or group of people that said, yes, do that. They are intrinsic of just being made in the image of God. And they are rights that can neither be removed or denied. Although some throughout history have tried. And here's what's interesting. If you take a black man, a white man, an Asian man, a Hispanic man, a Native American man, and a man who lives in India, and you put them all together, and you draw blood, and you do DNA tests, you'll find that they have 99.9% identical DNA. And here's what I know. Even if across the globe we all have the same skin tone, We all had the same traditions. We all spoke the same dialect. We all were of the same ethnicity. Knowing what mankind can do, we would somehow find a way to look down on somebody else. Just look at recent history. Do you remember the Serbs and the Croats and Yugoslavia? White people killing white people. 
the Irish and the British of the 70s and the 80s. In the 90s, in Rwanda, dark-skinned people butchering dark-skinned people simply because they came from different tribes. World War II, the Japanese committed atrocious things against the Chinese and the Koreans, even though they were all Asians. What I'm saying this morning, friends, is the power and the potential of sin that runs in you and runs in me will somehow find a way to say to somebody, you are different than me, so now you are less than me. But we go to the very first page of the Bible, and God says that all were created in his image and all have value to him. And it goes beyond skin color. That's why we need to advocate for the baby growing in the mother's womb, because that child bears the image of its creator. It's why we fight against sex trafficking, because these young girls and these young women, they bear the image of their creator. So let's affirm that every human being is made in the image of God, and because of that, they are valuable. Amen? Second, he loves the whole world. Jesus gave us a peek into the Father's heart in John 3, 16, when he said this, For God so loved the what? The world. The world and its people. That's what he means there. That he gave his one and only son. He gave his absolute very best. So that whosoever, again, all inclusive, anyone, any ethnicity, any tribe, any language, any skin color. So that whosoever, whoever believes in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. And that's not just some kind of New Testament idea that Jesus invented. No, this goes all the way back to the earliest pages of the Old Testament when God came to a man named Abraham and he said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to use you and I'm going to use your offspring and Abraham through you is going to come a savior and he's going to redeem the whole world. Listen to what he says. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed. You. I'm going to bless every tribe, every race, every tongue, every ethnicity is going to be blessed through you, Abraham. We even see this in the ministry of Jesus, that Jesus consistently challenged and pushed back against this false idea of ethnic superiority. And he established over and over and over that he was a savior for all the people. Consider when he was born, what happened? Magi came from the east. People of a complete different ethnicity than Jesus came from the east. On the night that he was born, who did the angels show up to first and proclaim the birth of Jesus? Who was it? The shepherds in the field, the most despised group at the bottom of the rung socioeconomic scale in that time and day. We read about Jesus' conversation, this beautiful life conversation he had with a Samaritan woman at the well. And you and I in our day cannot appreciate the the cultural norms that that broke and all the violations that that had with Jesus being a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman. And then we read about Jesus healing the daughter of a Canaanite woman. And I shared with you a few weeks ago how to the Jews there were certain levels of scum and at the top of the list were the Canaanites. 
and Jesus heals the servant of a Roman soldier. Again, different ethnicity. While he's carrying his cross through Jerusalem and he falls down, they pick out from the crowd a man from Africa, a man named Simon from Cyrene. And he takes the cross the rest of the way. So here's what I'm trying to tell you, folks. From the very beginning, from the time he was born to the very end to the time he dies, Jesus is constantly reaching people from every tribe, language, and tongue across the world. And his parting words for his church was to pick up where he left off. Do you remember what he said in Matthew 28, 19 through 20? He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of what? All nations. Here's what Jesus is saying. I want a multi-ethnic kingdom. And because the king wants that, we should want that. And because he worked for it, we should work for it. And guess what? Even though if we don't work for it, and even though if you say that's not what I want, Jesus is going to get what he wants in the end. He already is. Statistically speaking, listen to me. In the year 1900, 82% of the world's Christians resided either in Europe or North America. The majority of them white. By the year 2000, 39% of the world's Christians lived in North America or Europe. And if all trends go, as they're saying they will, by the year 2050, 28% of the world's Christians will live either in North America or Europe, many of them being people of color. So in my lifetime, only one in five people who are Christians will be white because Jesus is getting what he wants. Red, yellow, black, and white, all of them are precious in his sight. And you know why I love the fact that Jesus loves every ethnicity, every race, every tribe, every language. You know why I love that? Here's why, and here's why you should love it. Because Jesus looked nothing like me. Regardless of what the movies show you, regardless of the paintings you've seen, Jesus was a dark-skinned Middle Eastern Jew. We all like to think that he looks like our racial makeup, though, don't we? Which is probably natural. In fact, maybe you heard the story about two lifelong friends named Archie and Jack. They were a beautiful example of what an interracial friendship could look like and the harmony that could exist there. Archie was black, Jack was white. And they were both stubborn about one point, and they argued about it sometimes. Archie said that he was convinced that Jesus was black, and Jack said, no, I'm convinced that Jesus is white. And they, that was kind of a sticking point for them. Just so happened one day, though, that Archie and Jack both died on the same day. So they're both approaching the pearly gates, convinced that they are going to prove one another wrong about this and settle it once and for all. Until they meet Jesus, who says, Buenos dias, hombres. <laughs> My point is this. Regardless of his ethnicity, Jesus loved me. 
and he loves you. And you don't have to look anything like me for me to love you. And that brings us to point number three. The father says from the father's heart, you can't love me if you don't love your brother. Jesus addressed this one time when somebody from the crowd said, teacher, tell us what is the greatest law? What's the one we should shoot for that kind of is head and shoulders above everything else? Jesus said, I'm glad you asked, but I can't just give you one. I've got to give you two because they are inseparably linked. They're they're, they're connected at the hip. You can't have one without the other. He said, the first is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is like it, just as connected. And you'll love your neighbor as you love yourself. So this man says, wanting to justify himself, says, well, who is my neighbor? See, he's wanting to get very technical, very specific about how limiting his his love can be, right? So then Jesus whips out one of the most amazing stories he ever told. It's one that's preached in secular circles and churches, and we've all come to know it and love it. And what's the story? The Good Samaritan. Do you see how Jesus did? He amazingly makes the hero of the story someone of a complete different ethnicity and race. So when he finishes the story, he asks the man, he says, so tell me now, who is the neighbor in the story? The man says, I suppose it was the one who showed mercy. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan because of all his racial inclinations. And Jesus, that's what I love about him, he doesn't let the man off the hook just because he got the right answer. He doesn't say, okay, you go and pray likewise. Or you go and preach likewise. What did Jesus say? You go and do likewise. He says to this man, in your comings and goings in life, you're going to find people. You're going to find them in the ditch. You might actually come across somebody physically beaten up in the ditch, and they're battered, and they're bruised. Or you might come across somebody who's emotionally beaten and battered, and they feel like they have no worth and no value. And whoever you Make every effort to pull them out of the ditch and come alongside them. And truth be told, friends, at this point, at this time in our country, our black brothers and sisters feel like they're in the ditch. And the scriptures tell us that when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. We all mourn it. We all come alongside of it. We all try to be a solution instead of part of the problem. Even if we don't understand how they got in the ditch or why they feel like they're in a ditch. The, the Good Samaritan didn't ask all sorts of questions. Guy, well, how'd you end up here? And how many were there? And, and what'd you do to do? No, 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 that wasn't it. He came alongside and he grabbed him and he pulled him out to make him better. So I want to challenge you to do something that I did just a few days ago. To encourage all of you to find somebody of color and just say, help me understand what it's like for you to wake up in a culture where you're the minority. Just help fill in some of the gaps. And listen, when you do that, when you ask that question, Scripture says we're to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. So just listen. Non-defensively, 
Don't invalidate anything just because it's not your experience doesn't mean it wasn't real to them. Just listen. What my friend told me this week, you know what he said? He said, in all my years, Solomon, you're the very first person to ever ask me that question. I thought, that's unacceptable. And then it struck me. In my 47 years of life, that's the first time I've ever asked that question. And that's unacceptable. So lastly, let me share with you the Father's heart in this. That God values and redeems all ethnicities. He does. You know, whenever a group of people is in the majority, that just becomes the norm for them. And here's, the pro- here's, the, here's where the fine line is. Sometimes we can confuse what is normal with what is best. Let me share with you what I mean. I was raised in a, in a culture where white was the norm. If I pull out my money, no matter which denomination of money I have, I guarantee it, there's going to be a white person's face on it. In the textbooks that I used growing up, it was the Anglo-Saxons, it was the white Europeans and the white Americans who were highlighted as far as the contributions they made to the world. Even in the picture Bible that I had growing up, it was white Jesus and white Mary and white disciples and I don't think that anything malicious was meant by this. It's just simply pointing out the fact that when that's the norm, you can somehow cross that barrier into thinking that because it's the norm means it's the best. So when as a kid you start to think about heaven, it's very white, isn't it? You got white Jesus with blonde feathered hair. And you've got Chris Tomlin singing worship songs in English in heaven, right? That's the, that's the image that you have. But when you read your Bible, and again, that's what informs our reality is the Word of God. When you read your Bible, you see that in heaven, no particular culture is elevated above any other. And that every single culture is celebrated for what it brings into the kingdom. In fact, listen to Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song saying to Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. John sees this beautiful picture of an eternal kingdom where every ethnic group is welcomed and every ethnic group is celebrated. And then I got one more for you. It's found on the very second to last verse of your whole Bible. John is talking about that in the kingdom of God, after this life, there's not going to be a need for a son Because the radiance of the glory of God is going to illuminate everything just in its brilliance and its glory that it will provide all the light for everybody, everywhere, everything that you could ever need. 
And here's what it says, that it's, it's just beautiful. What it says here, it says this. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. That in every culture, friends, there's something of beauty, something of significance, something of weightiness, something that's wondrous, that's been imprinted into that culture by their maker. And God is going to use whatever is beautiful and lovely and wondrous about that culture, and he's going to redeem it and establish it forever for his glory as he absorbs it into his kingdom forever. Our future is multicultural. And so our mission, friends, is to make earth look more like heaven. Isn't that what Jesus told us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the Bible I've shown you this morning has been very clear from the first page of Genesis to the very last page of Revelation what God's heart is for the people of planet earth. And where he has spoken, we cannot remain silent. So here's what I want to do. Every week we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And at different times I have you focus on different things, you know, either about, you know, what Jesus went through on the cross or what's going on in your life or just take you on different mental trips sometimes as we come to the time of the Lord's Supper. But here's, here's what I want to do today. I want to read you the lyrics of a song. I didn't even know this song existed until I came across it this week from 1971. It's sung by Marvin Gaye. Sounds like it could be in a hymn book. Maybe even some of you know which song I'm going to reference here. But here's the lyrics. Oh, don't go and talk about my father. God is my friend. Jesus is my friend. He made this world for us to live in and gave us everything. Listen to this. And all he asks, one thing, is we give each other love. He continues. Don't go and talk about my father because God is my friend. Jesus is my friend. He loves us whether or not we know it, just loves us. And he'll forgive us all our sins and all he asks is we give each other love. Love your mother, she bore you. Love your father, he works for you. Love your sister, she's good to you. Love your brother, your brother. Don't go and talk about my father. He's good to us. God is my friend. Jesus is my friend. For when we call on his mercy, mercy, Father, he'll be merciful, my friend. Oh, yes, he will. 
and all he asks of us, I know, is we give each other love. It's that love that Jesus allowed his body to be broken and beaten and pierced and killed to show his great love for all people, for all the whosoevers. And so we eat now in recognition of that sacrifice. As well, here's what I want you to remember. The blood of Jesus. The same color of blood that ran through a dark-skinned Middle Eastern man is the same color of blood that runs through my skin and that of African Americans, that of Hispanics, that of Asians, Native Americans, whoever. No matter the color of the melanin, it's always the red blood, just like the blood of Jesus. Let me ask you something before you drink. If someone said to God, you and I heard one of your sons say about one of your other children, what would God hear? Let's drink now in memory of the blood of Christ. Won't you pray with me now? Lord Jesus, thank you for setting the stage in your ministry by having very uncomfortable conversations, creating uncomfortable scenarios where you could address certain social norms that were at play. Thank you, Lord, that we are still your body. We're here to continue the mission that which you came for, lived for, died for, and are now preparing for as we prepare to meet you as a people. Father, I pray that every person at this church will be bridge builders and break down barriers, break down hostilities, and simply understand that all that you ask of us is that we give love to each other. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.